Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Redeeming Hope. We exist as a family of faith that follows Jesus and helps others find him by living all of life as missionaries of hope. If you want more information about our church or would like to support our ministry, go to our website at redeeminghope.org. Please enjoy this sermon podcast. Greetings, friends, in the wonderful name of Jesus. Uh, I am so excited to be here with you today as we begin this series on Joseph titled Hidden Grace, Lessons from the Life of Joseph. And I don't think there's any other story in the Bible that has impacted and encouraged me as deeply as the story of Joseph, other than the story of Christ himself. And so I want to dive in today. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 37. I'm going to read two uh, sections of uh, Genesis 37 that kind of give us the early part of Joseph's story. And the title of today's message specifically is Hidden Plans, Hidden Plans. Now I wanna give credit to Tim Keller as his series on this story really shaped my my understanding uh, of it. So I wanted to give credit and just share that I'm certainly grateful for his ministry. Genesis 37, verse two. Joseph being 17 years old was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. <clears throat> Sounds like a lot of our homes. <laughs> now Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright and behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, behold, I've dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come and bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. Now his brothers went to pasture their flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, here I am. And we're gonna go down now to verse 23 through 34. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. And they took him and threw him into a pit and the pit was empty and there was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm and myrrh on their way to carrying it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Then they took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and says, said, the boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in blood. And they sent the robe of many colors 
and brought it to their father and said, this we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without a doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. Such a sad part of this story. You know, recently on Facebook, I saw uh, a not yet Christian friend of mine posted a, a, a little meme and it said, if God really is in charge of things, then he must be incompetent. You know, looking at all the bad stuff that's happening to me, looking, looking at all the bad stuff that's happening in the world, he's like, there, there can't be a God. And, and if he is God, he, you know, he must not know what he's doing. And I think one of the main objections people have to the Christian faith, and maybe even to faith in general, the idea of God in general, is if there's a God, why do bad things happen to good people? This passage and this story is probably the very best place in the whole Bible to directly address that thought. What you have here is a story, not a list of theological assertions or principles. And I wanna encourage you to let this story draw you in as we begin and continue this series over the coming weeks and months on the life of Joseph. If you will let this story draw you in and draw us into what it teaches us, you'll look at things differently. You'll look at your life differently. You'll look at the world differently, especially the bad things. Tim Keller says this about Joseph's story. God's silence is not absence. Often when God seems the most hidden, he's working the most for us. And what we're gonna look at over the next three weeks here out of Genesis 37 are three big ideas. Hidden brokenness, the hidden plans of God, and hidden grace. Now today we're gonna focus in on the hidden plans of God, but just a few thoughts to kind of set up that idea about the hidden brokenness we see in this text. I'm assuming most of you have heard of Mount St. Helens, the mountain that erupted on the, in the Northwest uh, in the 1980s, uh, a volcano that, that killed a lot of people and caused so much damage. Now this whole time there was this mountain ready to blow, but it was under the surface and people even nearby didn't believe it until it actually happened. And I think what we see here in the story of Joseph and his family is Joseph's family is like that. A little background. Joseph's father, Jacob, had a severe inner neediness that began with a broken relationship he had with his father, and it played out further in Joseph's life. Due to the lack of affirmation he received from his father and the death of his wife, what we see here in this story is that he, he made Joseph his emotional center. In a sense, Joseph became his idol. And this poisoned his whole family as he made no effort to hide his favoritism, that Joseph was his favorite son, and we see it by him giving Joseph this coat of many colors. Now listen, we ought to love our children, right? There's no, no debate there. But our children make horrible gods. We need to arrange our lives around God, arrange our lives around Jesus Christ, including our family, not make family God, or make our children God. So that's Jacob's brokenness. Joseph was broken too, however. If you look at the way that he told his dreams to his brothers, 
He showed a complete insensitivity and a total lack of awareness in how what he was sharing was affecting his brothers. The original Hebrew indicates that what he shared, it says he shared a bad report. It it indicates that it was an evil report. It was a, a wicked report. He was a prideful young man on his way to becoming a wicked person. But God wouldn't let that happen to him. What we see in this story is that God in his love intercepted him. Now, considering their brokenness, Jacob's brokenness, Joseph's brokenness, his brother's brokenness. Here's one of the things that makes this story really amazing is really there's no hero in this story, but God up to this point, Jacob and Joseph are some of the most unheroic heroes of the Bible and his brothers are villains. Tim Keller said this, the Bible's purpose is not just to show us how to live good lives. The Bible's purpose is to show you how God's grace breaks into your life against your will and saves you from the sin and brokenness. Otherwise, you would never be able to overcome. So today what I want to do specifically is kind of pull back the veil just a little bit and look under the surface of this story and see what we're calling God's hidden plans. God had secret plans that were beginning to work in all these circumstances in this story. How God designs a journey for Joseph to deal with the hidden brokenness inside of him so that one day he might use him to rescue others. Because as I've said, just under the surface is brokenness, but also just under the surface, God is at work. So to do this, let's begin by just looking at what we might call the dreams and the accidents in the story, the dreams and the accidents. The dreams that Joseph has are very interesting, especially in a historical and cultural context. Because the culture that he was in, the societies at the time were very hierarchical and patriarchal where the younger always served the older, always bowed to the older. If there was one iron law in society, it was that the older never bowed to the younger. Therefore, these dreams that Joseph had would have been radically and culturally scandalous. And in a sense, God is saying through these dreams, hey, just a heads up, everybody. I'm gonna bring a salvation into your family that's gonna turn the customs and values of your people upside down. God had a dream for the salvation of this family from the coming famine that we'll find out more about later in the story and to save this family from sin as Joseph's family uh, was the family that was carrying the messianic seed forward in the generations that would eventually go to Christ as Joseph's brother Judah was an ancestor of Jesus. But this dream was utterly and radically different than what society ever thought was possible. And one of the reasons the entire family was outraged by the dreams was that they thought there's just no way this could be true. This, is, this could never happen. This is outrageous. It would be like, um, it would be like my, my son coming to me and saying, you know, my 11-year-old son, Jack, It'd be like Jack coming to me and saying, uh, Dad, uh, I had a dream that by this time next year, I am going to be the primary breadwinner in our home. I'd be like, Okay, kids say stupid things. Come on, Jack. There's no way that could happen. I mean, that's more of an innocent response, but the idea is the same. It's just an absurd idea uh, that just doesn't even seem possible. And that's kind of how the brothers took these dreams. There's no way. The the, the older don't bow to the younger. Mom and dad bow. There's no way this could happen. You know, kids say crazy things. Joseph is sort of the, you know, he's the the youngest brother at this time. And 
Kids say crazy things. He's the, he's the you know, he's the crazy kid. Uh, like when my son Reese, who's now 16, said when he was uh, about three years old, hey Reese, what do you want to be when you grow up? And at the time, his great dream was, he says, dad, when I grow up, I was sitting next to him in bed, putting him in bed, dad, when I grow up, I want to be a hippo. I don't think that's going to work out for him. Kids say crazy things. Joseph was saying crazy things. So yes, these dreams are radically different than what society thought was possible, but they were still the word of the Lord for the salvation of this family from the coming famine and eventually from sin through Christ. So everything begins to happen through a series of accidents or coincidences. And you might have noticed that I cut out a good chunk of this story because I didn't want to use up the entire time with reading, but here's some of the things I left out. A series of uh, coincidences begins to unfold. It looks like chance happenings. First, Jacob decided to send Joseph to check on his brothers grazing the herds at Shechem. Second, the brothers had decided to go to Dothan, a very remote place where anything that happened there, nobody would know about it. Number three, Joseph happened to run into a stranger who happened to overhear that the brothers had gone to Dothan, so he knew where to go to find them. Number four, when Joseph arrived, his older brother Reuben happened to be there to keep him from being killed, but happened to not be there to keep him from being sold into slavery. All these things happen in a certain sequence. Now, here's the absolutely amazing thing, okay? All those little things that just, I just described, all those little things that happened. If none of those things happened, everybody dies. Everybody dies in the story. If Joseph had been killed by his brothers, everybody dies because there's a coming famine and God had this plan to bring Joseph into Egypt and into power to rescue his family. If Joseph had not been killed or sold into slavery. In other words, if things turned out well and they kind of reconciled, and oh great, everything's good. If that happened, everybody dies. Joseph had to be put into a place of power through these circumstances by the hand of the Lord. So what should we conclude in this? Every one of these tiny little accidents, coincidences, couldn't be a coincidence because if any one of them didn't happen, everybody dies, and by the way, including us, Because if Judah dies, hypothetically speaking, the Messianic seed dies at that generation and Christ would not come, at least the way he did. So here's what's astonishing in this story. Up until this point in Genesis, God is pretty active in the book of Genesis. You see God doing amazing things and working, you know, just through creation and through the generations. But when you get to the story of Joseph, it's like God's activity flatlines. God doesn't seem to do anything, anywhere in this passage of scripture. He doesn't speak, he doesn't act, he does does no miracles, he isn't even referred to in the story. God seems to be completely absent. You won't find any other chapter in Genesis where God seems to be completely absent, but that's the mystery and the beauty and creativity of the author. And here's what we see. I'm gonna go back to a quote from Tim Keller that I said earlier. The principle is God's silence is not absence. Because though on the surface God seems to be absent, he must have been managing every minute detail of everything that happened. 
because there's a plan in motion. All the random things, all the painful things, all the terrible things, all the bad things, all the little things that make no sense at all, God is arranging all these things for the salvation of his family and for us. Keller said, God's wise redeeming love is completely compatible with terrible things happening in the lives of those he loves. Heidi and I learned this lesson way back in 2001 when we had our first of three miscarriages. At the time, we didn't theologically know where to land with what was happening. You know, we were told you're, you're likely, you're, you're, you're gonna lose your baby. I mean, 99% you know, certainty, 99% chance you're gonna do that. I remember sitting in the car with her and she's weeping and you know, I'm, I'm crying and we didn't know what to do. You know, at the time we were in a movement that taught a lot of, you know, about faith and miracles. And we're like, so what do we do? Do we reject this doctor's report and say, we're going to stand in faith? <clears throat> or, you know, Heidi said, or do I land where Job did and said, though he slay me, yet I will praise him. So we wrestled with these ideas of, of how we should respond to this, this painful situation that had come into our lives. <clears throat> well, we, we lost the baby. And um, not long after that at church, a well-meaning uh, woman came up to Heidi and said, I, I, wish, I wish that uh, the Holy Spirit would have told me that the devil was gonna come and take your baby because maybe, maybe I could have prayed and stopped it because she said, I'm an intercessor. <clears throat> I'm an intercessor. And Heidi and I were like, what? What is going on? And we realized that we had a choice because we were asking the question, who's in control here? Who is sovereign? Are we in control? Are we sovereign? Is it really up to us and the amount of faith we have? And, and we just need to like, you know, crack the code with God somehow through our prayers and faith to save this child? Or is the devil sovereign? <clears throat> like this woman, you know, unwittingly suggested. He could just come anytime he wanted and just, you know, take this baby out of my wife's womb. Or is God in control? It can't be all three. It, where do we land here? And as we studied the scriptures and we began to see stories like this one we're talking about today and the, the promises of God, the things that the scripture says about God's authority and sovereignty and control over our lives, we began to rest as our view of God's sovereignty and control went higher than it ever had before. And so here we see this brutal situation happening in Joseph's life. <clears throat> and verses 23 and 24 describe the brutal thing that happened to Joseph when it says that uh, he was stripped of his clothes. And the word stripped there means to skin like an animal. So Joseph was probably naked and it says they threw him into a pit. And that word threw in Hebrew means to dump a dead body into a grave. So they stripped him down, humiliated him, took that coat of many colors, stripped him down, threw him into a pit, like dumping a dead body into a grave. Now, when the Hebrew ever uses this word, it literally means to abandon them to death. And we also know, though it doesn't tell us until chapter 42 of Genesis, that when the brothers are remembering these days, it tells us that Joseph cried out in the darkness of that pit. Joseph is in this horrible, brutal moment in his life. And again, if it didn't happen just like this, everyone would have been lost. 
not only would they have been lost physically, but they would have been lost spiritually because we see later in Genesis that only because Joseph was rejected, only because he was sold into slavery, only because he suffered was Joseph saved from himself. Joseph was saved from his pride that was going to make him a wicked person. And only because of all of this tragedy were the brothers saved from the hate that was gonna make them wicked people and the deception of their father. Even Jacob, their father, was saved from the idolatry of his son Joseph that was making him a dysfunctional person. Now maybe you're looking at this going, wow, hold on, wait a minute, why does this have to be so brutal? Why can't God do it like he did in the Charles Dickens uh, Christmas Carol story where you know these angels come and you know, this angel comes and pulls Ebenezer Scrooge out of bed and he, you know, he shows him these different scenes of his life, the ghost of Christmas past, present, and future, and he sort of wakes up and realizes, man, I've been a terrible person. You know, why, why, why couldn't God do it that way with an, you know, sending an angel with a bunch of rebukes? Or what about sending a sign in creation? You know, why couldn't Joseph walk out one day and God just form in the clouds you know, a rebuke for Joseph? Joseph, thou art a punk, repent. Oh, Okay, there's the message. Why did it have to happen this way? Here's why. Because Joseph is just like us. He needed to be shown his brokenness. Now, do you know that centuries later in Dothan, the same city, the same area where uh, Joseph was thrown into this pit, centuries later, something similar happened. Hundreds of years later, Dothan became a great city and the prophet Elisha and his servant were there. They were under attack and they cried out to the Lord just like Joseph did. He cried out in that pit. They cried out to the Lord and centuries later, the Lord sent a heavenly army to smite the enemy army. Now maybe you look at that story and you go, now that's what I'm talking about. That's the God I serve. That's how prayer should work. I call out to the Lord and he immediately sends angel armies to defend me. Hold on. Same Bible, same God, same location, two different people crying out in their distress, save me. The first case with Joseph, no chariots of fire, no angel army. Second case, chariots, an angel army. Why? Elisha's salvation was a simple physical salvation, but Joseph's salvation was a more complex salvation. If he was delivered when he cried out, he would have died in a more profound way later on. Joseph had to be lost to be saved. He had to go on a journey that God would take him on. Keller says, God was caring as much for Joseph in his silence and hiddenness as he was caring for Elisha with all that instant dramatic action. I wanna ask you a question. Do you know that about God? Do you believe that? That sometimes Peter is freed from prison like in the New Testament. Sometimes John the Baptist is left in prison. Do you know and believe that God works as much in his silence as he does in his deliverance? Do you believe that God is working in both situations? Or does it have to be instantaneous angel armies, instantaneous chariots? If you believe and know that, that God is working as much in his silence as he does in his deliverance, think how much stronger you'd be when you face trials of many kinds. If you believe that when God doesn't seem to be answering prayers, but is working, working things out in some other way, maybe that you can't see. Think how strong you'd be when you face the storms and trials of this world. 
Reminds me of the old hymn, it is well with my soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Whatever my lot, the writer says. And if you know the story, I'm not gonna get into it, the story behind the writer of that, he faced his own suffering and pain that kind of caused the song to emerge out of that trial in his life. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. If you believe that God is working just as lovingly in Joseph's life as he was in Elisha's life, you could really sing that verse. The singer is saying, and we are saying when we sing this song, whatever my lot, all my trials do is help me. They're not my enemies anymore. Suffering, bring it on. All you're gonna do is deepen my love and deepen my worship for God. At worst, you'll kill me, but I have a God who turns all deaths into resurrections. God doesn't, create evil, let's be clear here, he doesn't create evil or perform evil. God is holy, God is good. He doesn't create pride or betrayal, but he arranges all of it for his glory and my good and your good as you place your faith in Christ his son. He makes every pain and every trial bow and bend to his sovereign will. He overrules it. God has a dream for you. Did you know that? He's a plan for you and, and for your future glory. But here's the plain fact. Before it's all over, at some point, it's gonna look stupid. And maybe you know what I'm talking about. Maybe right now you're like, how could this work out for you? How could God arrange this in some way that's redemptive? but he won't let anything, not even you, kill his dream for your future glory. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you can't mess it up, but that God is working in your life through these circumstances, through these trials, through the brokenness? If you believe that, think how strong you'd be. Whatever my lot that was taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Because Joseph would go down, we're gonna see in the future weeks as Josh and I preach this, this series, you'll see that Joseph is heading toward that future glory. We see a glimpse of it in this world and certainly in eternity we'll see its fullness. But Joseph is heading toward that future glory as God would use him to rescue not only Egypt, but his family and preserve that messianic seed in his brother Judah so that Christ Jesus would one day emerge. Because Isaiah, the prophet had a dream of another ruler who would rise. Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. He says, for to us a child is born and a son is given and the government shall be on his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of his peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I love that. It's God's zeal that will make Joseph rise. It's not Joseph, it's not Joseph figuring it out or cracking the code or you know, finally uh, getting, his, getting his life together. It's God's zeal for Joseph and his plan for Joseph's future glory and his plan to redeem and rescue through Joseph that it's God's zeal that will make that happen. But like Joseph, this child that Isaiah refers to this ruler would suffer before he would rise. Jesus the Christ, who knew no sin like Joseph did, 
who was already a prince, who already ruled but made himself lowly, suffering on a cross to rescue a lost world. Then he was raised from the dead and he rules again, but not without us. Jesus is our Joseph. He is our deliverer. We are his brothers who betrayed him. Joseph was betrayed for 20 pieces of silver, Jesus for 30. Like Joseph, he rose to power at the right hand of the Father to rescue us. And like Joseph, he forgives our sin and welcomes us to salvation. And we'll see more and more of this in future weeks. As we've looked at God's hidden plans here, I just wanna leave you with three thoughts, just three applications for how we should take this message. Number one, I wanna encourage you today to ask God to give you peace about your trials. Ask God to give you peace about the things that confuse you in your life. Unanswered prayers, uh, dreams that haven't been fulfilled, you know, desires that haven't come to pass, uh, circumstances that are pressing against you. Just say, Lord, give me peace. And the Bible says, and the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That peace is available to you. What a resource that is to walk through our days, even in the face of trials, even in the face of pressure and pain, to walk through our days with a peace that passes understanding. You can have it. It's yours in Christ. I want to encourage you today to ask for that. Application number two, trust him, trust him, trust him. God's silence is not absence. He's working as much in his absence as he is in our deliverance. And we can be sure that his promises are yes and amen. And there is a future glory that awaits you and I as we walk out our stories. And, you know, I said, as I was introducing this, the idea of Joseph series uh, a few weeks ago when I was sharing it, you know, we don't have the end of your story. You know, you don't know how your story is going to play out. I don't have the end of my story, but we do have Joseph's story. And in Romans chapter 15, it says that the things that were written from of old were written for our instruction that we might have hope. And so Joseph's story is there for us to have, to glean wisdom from and hope as we face our own trials and our own stories where we can, in a sense, let Joseph's story stand in for us, stand in for ours. And finally, number three, I just want to encourage you to be patient, be patient with your story, be patient in your trial, be patient in whatever chapter you're in. God's plans, as we see in the story, take time to unfold. Um, Again, this is not a story where God sent angel armies and chariots immediately because there was a story that was playing out and it took, we find, it took decades to play out. So trust the Lord, he'll give you grace every step of the way. Jesus says, I'm with you, you know, to the end of the age in all your ways. So let's be patient and trust him, even when we don't see and we don't understand. That's what faith is. When we don't see and we don't understand, we walk with Jesus and we trust him, patiently enduring suffering, patiently enduring hardship, patiently enduring even the pressures and pains of this world, because we know him in whom we have believed, and in the end we shall see him on that day. Amen. Let me pray for you. Lord, I pray for everybody watching, that as they hear and meditate on what we've talked about today as we introduce this series, that they'd be encouraged, Lord, that you are the captain of their souls, the captain of their lives, the captain of their salvation, the author, the author and the perfecter of their faith. We trust you, Lord, and to whatever degree that's not true, help us to trust you more, as the old hymn says, oh, for grace to trust him more, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for watching.
Thank you for listening. We gather every Sunday at the Clarksville area YMCA. For more information, please go to our website at redeeminghope.org.